0: Take
1: care, everyone.
0: Take Take care. Welcome, everybody, to this minute of awake, minute by minute podcast. Uh, In this minute, we're going to be looking at minute 47. uh, And of course, uh, with myself today hosting, we have Mike and Priyank. Guys, how are are you? Priyank, how are you keeping? Good, thank you. Very good. Good. And Mike, how are you doing? Excellent. Life in Los Angeles. Yeah. Lake Shrine. <laughs> oh.
2: Fantastic. <Yeah>. Fantastic. <laughs> Lovely. Good. Glad to see a lot of Priyank's hair has grown back already. <laughs> it
0: is, isn't it? It's making yeah, good yeah. progress. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, good, uh, well, good to good to be back uh, at another minute. And really when we look at this minute, we see a continuation from the previous minute. And it's a, a really a theme of scandal. Uh, that continues uh, to be persisting in Yogananda's life. Um, So in this minute, we see Robert Love talking about the paranoia and lack of trust that existed in the United States in the early 20th century for foreigners, essentially non-white people. Um, And we see quite a, uh, you know, theatrical show of a newspaper um, on the floor with a heading of American woman, victims of Hindu mysticism. It's quite ominous uh, there. And in the picture in the front of the newspaper, we see an, an Indian figure in traditional garb uh, being the mystic, the Hindu mystic, uh, and at his feet kneeling really is a white, uh, a white woman, um, which uh, is, is certainly interesting. And I think we, we see a picture of Swami Vivekananda in there as well, um, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, maybe you guys can't correct me on that. But I, <laughs> I can't remember like, that, but I believe you. I thought it looked awfully like Swami Vivekananda. Um, and uh, we see a, a second appearance, I think, um, of Stephanie Simon. Uh, she appeared in Minute 29. Uh, she's an author. Uh, she talks about a, uh, the uh, miscegenation laws, uh, uh, and that really means uh, that they had been forbidden at the time Uh, for whites and non-whites to marry Uh, so we'll talk a little bit about that Uh, and at the end uh, which we'll talk for the most part uh, in this minute uh, we see some amazing footage of Yogananda marrying two devotees, one brown and one white so that is the minute. Uh, So we'll talk um, firstly about the scandal Uh, and that is just to paint the picture and provide some context. Uh, We're looking at the miscegenation laws. Uh, that were enforced at the time uh, in the 1920s and that was racial segregation at the level of marriage uh, and and that's uh, you know any intimate relationships um, and that really criminalized interracial marriage uh, and sometimes also sex between different members of different races so it was pretty pretty hardcore um, not that long ago as well you know only 100 years so you know it's a good um, reminder of history and where we've come from um, some more detail here, most of the states in, in the United States uh, had laws um, by 1967 um, uh, on, on this topic, uh, and that was the, U- U- the U.S. Supreme Court that ruled in Loving versus, uh, versus uh, Virginia um, that such laws were unconstitutional. So it really wasn't some time after, you know, Yogananda uh, had uh, been seen in this footage marrying to devotees um, that such laws were overturned uh, and they were overturned in remaining 16 states. So so that hopefully sets some scenes of what Yogananda was up against um, and it was extremely heated at the time. Um, Priyank, do you want to jump in? Yeah, it was
1: heated at the time and in a lot of countries it still is heated, isn't it? There's still some debacles in some countries where you're not allowed to marry certain interreligiously and uh, intergenderly and all other all sorts of other issues so we're still not uh, free from that plight um, so the influence of these images and this part of the film no doubt has some relevance even today
0: yeah
2: Mike. <clears throat> i I was always wondering. Um... Because well, when you read about apartheid in South Africa, segregation in America, where where does this actually come from? What is the fear that people have when they when they um, intermingle between different races? Do they feel like they lose like the, there's this idea of the being like um, uh, I don't know pure or something? But I I feel like people um, Thinking they're losing something when there is some interracial um, uh, marriages going on, they're losing their culture or something, or they have another culture that mixes in, and then in the end it will be different than before. I was always wondering why, where this comes from, why people would come up with this idea in the first place.
0: It's a good question. I actually thought, in some ways, it's quite basic, um, Mm. and it's for me you know, a state of ignorance and duality, seeing things as opposites and seeing somebody of different colour to you that maybe behind that had different cultures. So maybe even smelt different, you know, they, they had a different way about them. There's a distrust of that differentiation. Uh, I suppose the, the lack of knowledge breeds ignorance. Uh, and it's kind of kind of simple in some ways. You know, it's almost... Um, looking back uh, in time, you can somewhat sympathize with people because they mightn't have ever seen it before. And humanity at that time was more under a state of ignorance than what we are today. So there is that deep trust, distrust of the unknown. uh, And that is very kind of deep rooted psychological fear that I think humans have um, or have had, certainly in our past history. Uh, yeah,
1: and it's a it's a, it's a particular topic of interest amongst academics as well, like and also general observers, like you know Hitler's autobiography, the Mein Kampf, is that how you say it? That okay. that part which discusses this, you know, his 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 crazy ideas on racial purity and things like that, they still it's still it's still very well like looked up and people still read about it. So still, there's still a lot of, you know, um, learned circles trying to work out how that theory you know, is evolving even now.
0: There was a famous scientist, um, but we don't need to get too deep into <laughs> it. Um, I think his name is Kunt, um, and I think he was Scottish. And he, as along with one other scientist, Propagated the um, scientific reasons as to why the races were different and why the whites were superior, and so on and so forth. And it was all bogus, really. But that was actually uh, taken up uh, by many at the time, um, and they were very they're very well known uh, in these circles um, to to really try to bring some, you know, legitimacy to some really deep states of ignorance that really that existed at the time. So I guess that people Ran with a lot of these, um, a lot of these findings that Kent and uh, one other scientist put forward um, at, at the time. I think it was in nineteenth century. Um, so you know, it, it's it's a deep-seated, uh, very complex issue. Uh, but thankfully, um, we've we've shown uh, in science that uh, there isn't uh, much <laughs> between between us um, when you peel away the skin. Uh, One thing I did want to sort of mention was you know, in the picture, uh, I said that there was a woman kneeling at the feet of this Hindu mystic. Uh, And I I thought it was, it struck me as funny because it's a sign of devotion in India uh, to kneel at one's feet and to kind of pranam and, you know, touch the feet of a guru. Uh, But here it's seen, I think, or it's depicted as a way of uh, submissive act. Mm. Uh, And I thought that was really striking to me that one culture might see that as really submissive and almost, oh, look, you know, that they, they've been hypnotized and they're falling at the feet of these men. Uh, you can just think of the, the, the way that they would describe that versus what in India that they would see that as. Um, so yeah, lots uh, lots there too.
1: But was it, um, was it seen as demeaning anyway to wash Christ's feet, for example? Mm-hmm. was it not seen as a privilege
0: or an honor yeah uh yeah, yeah yeah there's a famous story of that i think there was something similar in the autobiography of a yogi if maybe i'm mistaken but um yeah it's it's seen it's seen as uh taking care of uh, one's, uh as as another as you would for oneself isn't it i think that's the, the story where that goes um but certainly this is like a very, there's a clash of cultures here, isn't there, where, you know, you've got uh, something so revered and um, so widely done in India is just very alien in the United States at the time. Uh, so there's a lot of mistrust, there's a lot of unknowns, misunderstandings um, that really came into play. Mike?
2: Yeah, I think you're right, Um, because the, the, whole, the whole idea of bowing in in india in front of a guru is so common right and most people that grow, grow up in india have a guru of some sort right and um for them like showing reverence to the guru by by kneeling touching his feet touching their forehead is super normal and in in the west i feel like it was more like miss appropriated by kings and by rulers and it basically has a different meaning it doesn't mean i i show reverence to you it means like you bow before me because i'm your ruler right so it's the same gesture but it's seen differently in in different places and i guess that's also a big misunderstanding there
1: interestingly um your parents are are said to be your first gurus so you you have to until you find Guru, guru, and you would bow to your feet, to the feet of your parents as well, and we still do. Like even at um, weddings or something, you touch the feet of your parents.
0: Yeah. Very cool. We'll, we'll get into the subject of, of uh, weddings actually in, in just a moment. Um, but uh, yeah, this is, so this is the thing, really. The scandal uh, Yogananda had to essentially put up with, uh, and I'm sure he would have been. more more aware of this uh, than others given his um, uh, situation. Um, We have Stephanie Simon here talking about um, reading between the lines. You can see what the problem is that there's, uh, you know, a period of this um, forbidden marriage between white and non-white skinned and they didn't want to mix the races. Uh, So she she kind of solidifies that quite nicely. Uh, And in the next scene, we see uh, this beautiful scene of a wedding uh, so let's let's delve into that um, now so there this is a, taken from a longer video of these clips so we see video footage of Yogananda uh, with a congregation really um, of people who were uh, gathered for a ceremony uh, of this of this uh, uh, wedding between two devotees and we see some instruments being played we see... Uh, you know, people of different races in there, which is really, really cool to see. Uh, and Yogananda is uh, uh, giving them blessings these to uh, this couple. Uh, so he's putting his hand on their, uh, the tops of their head uh, and uh, chanting Om, Amen, Om, and he's saying how this is symbolical, uh, this marriage uh, for the break- breaking of the barriers between the brown Caucasians of India and the white Caucasian of America. Um, and there's a couple funny moments in it, I, I thought, that, you know, he, he realizes he's holding flowers uh, uh, and he kind of drops them quickly before he kind of, you know, goes to give the blessings and <laughs> the man holding an instrument that he's playing. Uh, of course, it's traditional to the SRF um, uh, instrumental uh, uh, orchestra. But uh, yeah, there, there's there's a lot in there to unpack. Um, but I wanted to come to somebody first that knows a little bit more about the um, weddings, Priyank, uh, for the SRF. And most. You had a wedding yourself through the SRF. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about the purpose. You know, why would somebody get married through the SRF and uh, YSS?
1: Yeah. So, firstly, that, um, well, I can only speak for Hindu weddings there there's a lot of there's a lot of ritual a lot of i dare say the word clutter in terms of the ceremony um i mean you know the prayers and stuff are quite deep but there's a there's a lot of if you've ever been to a hindu wedding there's a lot of elements where people don't really know what they're doing they just they're just they're just doing it because that's the way and there's like little bit you know little done that's exchanged that, that's like you know uh, during parts of the ceremony money is money is exchanged between the groom's family and the bride's family between like the youngest son and oh, that would be the youngest brother if, if if there is one and the uncles and all sorts of really really um, quite detailed and quite um uh, quite distracting rituals i would say but the srf ceremony is completely devoid of ritual it really goes to goes to the heart of just what they marriage should be what should it what it should mean for your spiritual growth um so uh, it, you know I'll, I'll just take you through some of the holy vows that are given by paramahansa yogananda that for, for marriage that uh my wife and I had, for example, um, they they start with things like, I am thine, thou art mine, that we may merge in God. Body, mind and soul we cast into the flame of love to be purified into cosmic love for all the mankind. We are united by spirit first and by emotional liking, intellectual affinity and physical attraction secondarily. We will merge our desires for the highest common good We will cooperate with each other that we may harmonise with the laws of truth. We will love each other unconditionally. Through our love, we will forgive each other always. Even death shall not sever the bond of friendship, which through marriage we establish in God. We will be loyal to each other to demonstrate our capacity for divine loyalty. May we care for each other unselfishly, ever increasingly, until our love becomes The love of God. We are united to fulfill the law of creation and through mutual love to find the infinite divine love. We aspire to bring souls on earth to worship God in newborn forms. May our children serve as spiritual ushers to bring other souls back from delusions home into the eternal freedom in God. May our souls join the one spirit of God. So you can see, as, um, there's a lot, a lot, every single vow in there. There's a lot of, a lot of depth and real. It goes to the core of life and spirituality. And we'll, in a minute, we'll play um, part of uh, part of those vows that were played in this um, in this video. That uh, that was part of the minute that you're going to the ceremony. But yeah, we, interesting to hear your, your feedback, guys. On those vows, that's probably the first time you've had.
0: Is Mike? Do you want to jump in?
2: Yeah, can do. I mean, I've I've seen the I've seen them before, but um, not um, read out to me like that. Um, but I've, they are very beautiful in the sense that I feel like they every single vowel is super significant and hits the spot exactly, right? And some of them, like for example, when they when it says like even after death you maintain friendship in god right so it, it just means okay if you're if this life this life is over your marriage also ends with your life because it's kind of till death do us part kind of thing right but then you still have a, a connection of of love afterwards in the in maybe following incarnations even which is super interesting and then the, the responsibility of um so when you have children, you actually want to bring in um, uh, souls who worship God, and you want them to usher um, other people out of delusion, which is like a super, super strong responsibility as well. So it's a lot of a lot of big, big vows in there.
0: Right, maybe you can give some, some of the nuts and bolts on this as well. There's two deputies getting married in the uh, video that we've watch and we'll, we'll watch a bit more in a minute um the two people who are getting married through the srf do they both have to be devotees or is it at least one or can anything anybody-
1: so what happened with me um so it was a very personalized affair for myself so um, brother balananda did my ceremony with my wife and he interviewed me before the wedding before the ceremony and said you know asked me about my practices and my wife's practices and they tailored interestingly they tailored the vows for us so for example we didn't read the he asked me what our intentions were for you know raising family um, which is I know that's uh, some some people may find that a strange question but it was a very relevant question for us because my wife and I don't intend to have children or we didn't then or we still don't um so we we didn't um read out the vow which was we aspired to bring souls on earth to worship in to worship god in newborn forms or may our children serve as spiritual ushers to bring other souls back from delusions home into the eternal freedom in god so we didn't read out those vows because they weren't relevant for us but there was another couple obviously they, they did want a family life and they did read those out so um yeah it, it's very um personalized and yeah essentially both of you have to be members um probably less than students um um i, I can't remember if you, one of you has to be a one. i don't think so but uh, i could stand to be corrected on that
2: like and you um you were obviously married already right but uh, at yes that's right. wedding right so that's right. um i think in the us you can actually get married like the the, the srf way and then make turn into a legal marriage um, yes, I'm, not sure if that, I'm not sure if that's how it works in europe or other countries as well
1: well they actually he, he i think because the monks are only in london for you know for a week or whatever or when they come around they they don't want to go through any of that <laughs> those hurdles So they ask that you're already married um, right. or court registered and then you can undertake this ceremony and you know for for myself uh, I mentioned all the clutter surrounding the rituals in my traditional Hindu wedding which was in India um, but you know this was just such a breath of fresh air because I am so anti-ritual <laughs> it's unreal oh, i wonder why i was brought into an indian uh, household perhaps to overcome such uh, stronger versions but um but yeah this this is just there's no rituals it's just a beautiful ceremony that really goes to the core of what the purpose of a union should be
0: or to trying to get mine done in the next couple of years myself um so do we now, I want to talk about it. Who, who actually is it we're looking at in this Yeah, video?
1: <clears throat> yeah let's just before that, now let me just play you a clip because this is actually a much longer clip. And before we talk about who's in it, um, let's just, this is so those vows that I read out, they're different, um, quite different actually, to the vows that Yogananda conducts in this ceremony. So let me just read or play you what um a part of the first part of before the vows are exchanged and then i'll give you some context as to why this video was done and i'll explain a bit about it afterwards and then we can talk about the two people that are getting married themselves because of which there's a long and checkered history um but we'll just let me
3: play that for you all right minds and aspirations and souls for the pursuance of one common goal of final spiritual liberation. Remember, greater than man-made laws and ceremonies is the sacred ceremony of your spontaneous determination to keep your hearts and souls united to a common great purpose. Thus, understanding your high spiritual purpose in seeking a spiritual union, I do hereby bless and unite the spirit of your souls. Thus, also recognizing your desire to seek a proper companion who can assist you in the spread of the super art of living, the message of Yogoda, I do hereby unite you in spirit.
1: Oh, oh. I'll now just play the end bit, um, which is quite nice. There's a little gear Do
3: You remember this. I
1: Pretty epic, yeah. There's a lot to unpack in there. So what we'll do is I'll post on on the description, I'll post the video file, to the the link to the file for the whole of that video, which is about 12 minutes long. And um, firstly, you'll notice that the vowels were different um, to the ones that I read out now. And then you should also notice that. But I think in essence, they were quite similar. There was a lot of, you know, core spiritual um, philosophies that were were in there. And then you'll notice that there were some extremely strangely dressed people and then there were some musicians that looked like they had or played like they had never played an instrument before in their lives. And that is probably the case because the history surrounding this is quite varied but this this video was actually, the whole proceedings was staged Um, And it was a, it was a a marriage that had occurred between these two individuals, we'll discuss them in a minute, but they, after their wedding, the actual, you know, court registered wedding, they conducted this at LA or near Mother Center or somewhere in LA, and they invited, you know, newsreels to record it, as in, because in California, as Chris mentioned, um, interracial marriages weren't allowed, so this wedding actually took place in New Mexico, and then they did this you know, elaborate ceremony and they would have hired you know some professional cameras and professional audio equipment because this this video potentially I think is probably the best video and audio that we have of Guruji. Um, I could stand corrected um, and if people have seen better then do let me know but this is a 12-minute video where you can hear Yogananda and see him so clearly, isn't it? Um, yeah. So, if that that you, you guys got any uh, thoughts on that, Mike?
2: Mostly questions. Yeah. So when I, when I saw this video, I mean, a lot of questions. We're gonna ask. Uh, we're gonna talk about like who's going getting married, and you already mentioned that they already they actually got married in New Mexico. <laughs> um, but um, they staged it. What was the purpose of that video? Was it like some kind of advertisement for the cause? Or I mean, if it's illegal, like I can imagine, this video might have sparked some anger amongst people who see it, right? Like, what is what was the purpose of the video? Do you know anything about that?
1: Yeah. So you're going to join them. This is spiritually at Mother Center, um, and this, this this you're going to says the marriage symbolized breaking down the barriers between, as said in the film the brown caucasians of india and the white caucasians of america so that is the reason so and then apparently they even played this footage in theaters (laughs) wow so so they're actually they're not just breaking them down but they're promoting that Mm -hmm. they need to be broke down not just in terms of the law but primarily into the thoughts minds and hearts of the general populace
0: Yeah, chris Listening to Yogananda speak here, it, it is an amazing bit of footage, and I think you're probably right. It's the best long chunk of footage that we have on Yogananda. Um, you can see his eyes, you know, r- rolling to the yeah. top, and he's he's uh, clearly, you know, going to a space uh, and speaking from that space, and he's, um, it's just really awesome to see, uh, you know, from my perspective. Um, I thought that that was that was uh, something noteworthy Greg.
1: yeah and so much you're so right and so much personality comes out when you can see uh, that video um and see a long version of it even like even things like you know him ushering people along or how he r- talks to people that you know when he needs something done or if someone's doing something incorrectly like that lady for example who was playing that drum on a few occasions she'd Dude, she was doing it completely incorrectly and he was, he was trying to encourage her to play at the right you know temper it was quite funny there's so many elements of like that personal uh what it would have been like to be with guruji come out of that video it was just a phenomenal i'm so glad we did this podcast otherwise i wouldn't have uh, even found that video
0: mike
2: yeah like you said uh, some people are, are... Like, um, dressed in strange robes, in there, like uh, this person to the right with the like the headband and all white. And is that, do you think, to promote like interculturalism? Um, in the video,
1: I'll tell you exactly what it is. Apparently, two colorful characters joined the yoga the lecture circuit during those years as yoga and the ratcheted up. The showmanship, no doubt in in response to the economic conditions. Mm. At the time, what little money Americans could spare was likely to be spent on escapist entertainment than for edifying philosophy or self-improvement. Hence, uh, there was a Hamid Bey who was invited to give mind power demonstrations and lecture under Yogananda's auspices. Most appearances were solo, but sometimes the miracle man was the opening act Nirode and or Yogananda, and dressed in Arabian garb, he stuck long pins through his tongue, stopped wow. his pulse on command, reclined on spikes, had large rocks smashed on his chest, and allowed himself to be buried in a casket of seemingly impos- impossible stretches of time. Um, some of some of the ads for Yogi Hamid Bey, divine magnetic healer and miracle man of the Orient, indicated that whilst Bay was buried alive, Yogananda would speak on topics such as magnetic vibratory healing and what happens 10 minutes after death. <laughs> so uh, this is probably that chap, or if not, they made it dress like that chap. Um, <laughs> quite funny, isn't it? He's
2: got a good beard. I like that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and then, And if you look, there's also because of the the nature of the purpose of the film, i.e. the interracial harmony, there's like oriental person there, there's um, lots lots of Indians, there's Arabic looking man, there's a guy with turban on the right, um, and then there's there's all sorts, all sorts, and uh, all sorts, isn't there?
0: Everything seems to be covered. uh, yeah, group. Uh, sure. it looks looks amazing and let's jump into who the devotees are then. Um, I think yes. again, Frank, you have uh, something to do with Yes,
1: I do. so he is this chap who's in there um must say quite a he just by his demeanor he looks very nervous doesn't he <laughs> he looks a bit shady <laughs> and it certainly turns out to be... yeah Mike do you want to just come back straight away on that.
2: Yeah, because he, like you notice when the, the vows are red, everyone is like looking somewhere and he's like looking straight into the camera <laughs> all the time with a smile. <laughs> Maybe he's got some Hollywood training or something. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, apparently he's a fellow Bengali, Nirad Ranjan Chaudhry is his name. Choudhury Chan, grew up. Around yogis and was well versed in yogic philosophy and practices. He was a graduate from Calcutta University, and he came to US to study Sanskrit at Berkeley, and then into Harvard. And whilst in Cambridge in 1923, he received kriya initiation from Yogananda. And by 1926, he was working for Ford in Detroit. And when Yogananda came to town, Chaudhary said, in a letter dated 1926, he wanted to be made a brahmachari, so he became. Brahmachari Sri Nirode, um, and he stated a desire to work for Yogananda under the standard conditions of a renunciant employment, i.e. room and board and basic expenses. And to simplify his name for Americans and to designate his commitments, Chaudhary became Brahmachari Sri Nirode, and um, Yogananda immediately made him, interestingly, the the leader at the Detroit Centre, which is uh, quite interesting. uh, Mike?
2: um i mean the the question uh immediately springs to mind right he's uh asking to be a brahmachari in order to become a monk right yeah and now we see him getting married how does this how does this work together
1: yeah so when we get to their wedding so what actually happened was that um well firstly yeah you you don't tend to um you don't tend to go from brahmachari back to um back to normal life you go on to the next stage which is become a sannyasi which is a complete renunciant i.e a brother or a swami but um he obviously for whatever reason decided that he wanted to be get married um and um and then at that point they yeah you know, they dropped his name but interesting let, let me explain who that other person is um on there uh, the, the other person is a lady called um, Agnes Spencer, who's a young Coloradan, uh, who moved to LA to attend a U- UCLA. And at one point, money being tight, she took a job at Mount Washington, typing for Yogananda's tran- manuscripts. She returned to school and subsequently ran into her ch- chum named Gladys Weber. And Gladys Weber, who had worked at Mother Center, arranged a blind double date for two gentlemen from India, i.e. Swami Tirananda, and Brahmachari Srinirote. Now, why this Gladys lady would arrange a blind date for two renunciants? <laughs> Heaven only knows. But you'd imagine that they wouldn't be, they wouldn't have been coerced into going on a blind date. They would have um, uh, shown Gladys an inclination that they want to, um, <laughs> wanted to get married. But apparently Glad um, Gladys was um, legally married to an Indian filmmaker who moved back Um, to India with his wife Um, so so he was married but then they got divorced in 1934 and then married Swami Dirananda who then resumed his original name Basu Kumar Bhakti. and then the Narods married and Agnes married in 1931 so this would have been in 1931 this video footage he Brahmachari Sri Narod was 44 and she was 24 so quite young. And then, you know, at that time of marriage, they obviously um stopped that uh, Brahmachari name. So he just became Sri Nirode, and Sri obviously means the great one. Um shall I go through a little bit of the history of um Nirode now? Because what happened, it turned very sour. Yes, uh, please, yeah, please go. Yeah. Um, so what happened was apparently um after the Ananda, um left the, you know, left the organization. Uh, Guruji invited Nirodi from the Detroit to LA to, apparently, um, Nirodi being named the residential leader at yoga, the headquarters, and that Dirananda had gone away for a period of rest and study, which is apparently the Swami equivalent for an unpopular politician leaving the office to spend more time with his family. <laughs> so, <laughs> Swami Dirananda left out one door and Srin uh, Nirode came in the other, um, which is um, not, not, not really, didn't really work out well, did it? So Divinanda didn't work out well, and then Nirode, I'll tell you what happened. So um, when, when, when they came to LA after what appears to have been a cheerful beginning, they Bring things gradually downhill. Um, between Yogananda's relationship, they became quite testy. Apparently, there was the issues were mainly about finances, accommodation, um, friction between the other residents. Um, at one point, Nerode's Nirode, weekly maintenance remittance was reduced, as were those for all everyone at the center because of the depression. Um, and the families had to move from their rooms on the second floor to a smaller, darker space at the bottom level. <laughs> bottom level. Apparently Agnes didn't like this uh, and so yeah, there was lots of um, issues surrounding you know, their living arrangements and they weren't happy. Um, and then what happened was that Nerodis were ousted in 1939. Um, the official notice of termination sites multiple reasons. Um, it was but then Sri Narodi filed a lawsuit against Yogananda. Um, under the LA Superior Court, under his original name, i.e., mm-hmm. Nira the Turan Ranjan Chodhury. Um, and he claimed that Yogananda was uh, based on an oral agreement that they, was, they were they supposed to split their share of the fortunes, apparently. And now he did move to dissolve the support part- the support supposed partnership, and obtain his share, which he claimed to be five hundred thousand dollars, which is eight million dollars today, Mike.
2: Yeah, it's funny that we see like a pattern there between Dirananda oh, yeah. and Dyrnanda, right? Yep. And then you have to ask yourself why and one good point uh, that Phil Goldberg makes there is that it was in the middle of the Great Depression, mm-hmm. right? So it was probably really hard to make money and then I don't know if that's true, but maybe a little bit um, the kind of uh, goals of a renunciant and the goal of a family—they go, they contradict each other a little bit, right? Yeah. Because as a family, you want to build up yourself and become financially stable and and provide for your wife and those kind of things, or provide for your partner. And um, as a renunciant, you just do whatever the guru asks you and. If they lived in the nice room and now they have to rent out the nice room because they need money, then then so be it, right? Like so, I feel like there was this conflict of interest in them and um like with Dirananda, Guruji kind of felt um compassion for Dirananda even when he sued him, right? Because he said he, he's now in America and he needs money and <laughs> to for his um to start this endeavors and i'm guessing it is similar here i'm not i'm not excusing suing your guru like <laughs> I, it's completely inexcusable in my opinion but but um but would, the, there were diff, difficult circumstances that pushed them that way as well
0: mm-hmm. one of one of the um, things that uh, we saw in the previous minute uh, yogananda said was you know you can kind of see it in people's minds that, that all people are thinking about are the bills that they have to pay and uh, you know maybe maybe money he could see money was swirling around the minds of people more in in the US because of the materialism and the the hobbies and things that the distractions that people were picking up um, versus living a life of simplicity and I, I like your point, Mike. I think you know the the um, the goals uh, and the needs that uh, maybe a family group would have had versus what Yogananda was setting not to do would have been very different. Um, and uh, yeah, thankfully, we can see now in hindsight how it played out and Yogananda's, you know, intents and what he was really building versus, you know, what maybe you were depicting there, maybe more of a money grab. and You know you could never imagine him saying, okay, let's just split the fortunes and, you know, run away into the distance or something like that. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, we have that hindsight looking back now. It's it's a lot more clear.
1: Yeah, and then apparently the court uh, the court wrangled on for more than a year. But uh, in the end of nineteen forty, um, Judge Ingall found Ingold Ball found no basis for the partnership, um, even if the in concept, even if the concept of partner had any real meaning in a non profit corporation. He said, um, apparently more to the point, in nineteen twenty nine. In the aftermath of the Deerananda debacle, Sri they had signed a document stating that he was then, was then called the Yogoda Satsang Society, will be in no way responsible for paying me a salary. And I'm giving up my service of my own accord without any re- remuneration or compensation other than provided me by the local centre. So, yeah, and then it, it did get ugly and various, you know, claims and false witnesses and uh, it was... Uh, it is a bit crazy, um, but we do, I think we can, we can leave it there. Because, um, yeah, but he did not win, essentially. Let's, let's leave it at that.
0: <laughs> we, hindsight's 2029. 20 um, it is amazing. I think I said in the previous minute, uh, I had to eat my words uh, that I sort of spoke too quickly uh, that Yogananda maybe hadn't, uh, I wasn't aware of some of the troubles that he had been through and the challenges that he had been through. But I, I think it just speaks um, and ages well with time, as we've mentioned before, how he doesn't really dwell on the problems. He, he wants to focus on the simplicity of life. Um, so yeah, it's good. It's good that they covered these things loosely in in the minute, um, in the way that they did. Uh, they haven't dwelled on it too much. So, nor should we. Yeah,
1: it's um based. It's it's important. Well, it has it. It had ramifications for self-realization fellowship even to this day apparently like you know there was like you know previously we talked about the sex the claims of like you know um yogananda having extra you know affairs with women or whatever uh, not not um not holding to his vows of celibacy um so like apparently for example um he claimed that um uh, guruji would have women that go up to see him at Crazy hours, uh, but it doesn't state, he didn't say that men also came to see him and that Guruji never slept. So he had meetings through the day. And, like, if like, if there's a 50 people living in that house at Mount Washington, if there was something crazy happening, everyone would know about it. And apparently, um, the legal battles between SRF and Ananda Church of SRF, which is, you know, the um, Swami Kriyananda's organization, um, Faye writes, I Daya Mata. Had to, she went under oath many years later saying that nothing crazy like that happened with me nor anyone that I knew. So even after 50 years after his passing, and that court case went from 1990 to 2002, they still have to suffer the ramifications of this insanity, you know, this. that Swami Dirananda and the. Pramacharya Srinirado Sri Let's Nir- just call him uh, what's his name Chaudhry <laughs> Nira Chaudhry. I think that's what we should refer to him. Is he does not deserve a Sri next to his name nor a Brahmachari next to his name.
0: Yeah, harsh but fair. Uh, I mm. think uh, there, Priyanka. Yeah. Um, so that's that's really that minute. Really, you know, it's a continuation from the scandal from the previous minute, uh, and really we're looking forward. Uh, we do go into more depths uh, again uh, on uh, the various challenges I think Jugenander uh, really was going through some of the biggest challenges of his life so we will delve into this in a little bit more detail in the next minute
1: Phil um, Phil Goldberg before we end it um, Phil Goldberg um, if you open the last card on there guys um, he did an analysis an independent analysis of all the allegations and claims of you know miss you know in not acting properly on the on on behalf of yogananda and and he he wrote he wrote this as a conclusion after reviewing all the evidence he said um firstly he said uh, what do you say that um firstly he said that um about that whole he said Uh, I've examined all of the evidence and communicated with individuals who have devoted considerable time to accumulating Yogananda-related materials. Had I found verifiable evidence that Yogananda had sexual affairs or exploited female disciples, I would not have hesitated to report it, but I did not. I found hearsay, inference, speculation, and a handful of statements from a few people who were in Yogananda's orbit at the time, but whose objectivity would have been considered questionable, (laughs) i.e. And um, Nirad Choudhury. But yeah, can someone read that last? um, This is a good card, I think, to end on. Yeah.
2: Before we leave this delicate subject, we must ask why it is that people get so exercised about perpetuate pur- uh, uh, sex lives of spiritual leaders. One reason is that we tend to place them on pedestals so high that many of them would rather not climb on board. The veneration not only sets up followers for disappointment when the gurus turn out to be human as they all are, it also invites backlash as some people love to topple pedestals as much as others love building them. Portraying Gurus, as godlike, also denies them the credit they deserve for growing, learning, maturing, and evolving as human beings. Yogananda said that a saint was a sinner who didn't give up. Who, uh, we can't possibly know what inner struggles he may have kept to himself on his way to be sanctified, to, uh, to the sanctified status that was eventually bestowed upon him. But if we did know, Would the spiritual principles he articulated so well be any less true? Would his Kriya Yoga be any less effective? He asked people to examine his ideas with rigor and to practice his methods with diligence. He did not ask to be turned into an object of worship. He said many times in many ways, I'm not the guru, God is the guru. I am God's servant. He also said after my passing, the SRF teachings will be the guru.
0: Very nice. Yeah, nice, uh, nice words from Phil Goldberg there. Um, made me, it made me think. You know, when you look at the video that we have there, the twelve minutes that, as Brian says, we'll share in the link. Um, what great a blessing it would have been to be with him at that time. And you can see, as Brian says, uh, some of the mannerisms, and you know, you can see his maybe humor as well. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, you can see him orchestrating everybody at that point saying, you know, in the video there's, the, the, when they're marching, he's saying like stop, you know, stop here and, uh, you know, his, the, his camera was on him, he, he was having to deal with so many things and really building the uh, foundations of the SRF from the ground up. So it's an amazing bit of footage. Um, so yeah, awesome that we can delve into it in a little bit more detail in this minute. Um, But with that said, uh, does anybody have anything else that they would like to go into before we round off the minute? Mike, all good? Well, with that, thank you very much for joining us and we'll look forward to uh, discussing Minute 48. Take care. Take Take care.